And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is Thursday, second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap it up. And been an interesting week so far. You know, markets have been under a bit of pressure here over the last couple of days in particular. And you know, this is something that we've been talking about in our daily morning uh, commentary that we publish every morning on the website. Uh, if you go by and you can subscribe for free, we'll email it to you pre-market. But every day we post a market trading chart about where we are and kind of what the markets look like and what to kind of expect. And over the last you know few days uh, going in uh, to, to Tuesday and Wednesday, we had been saying markets are very overbought here. Look for a bit of a pullback. Markets need to hold support. And that's just kind of what's been happening. So again, despite the fact that, you know, we've had this sell-off for the last couple of days, you know, there's no real reason to panic. Markets had had a big move prior to that. We had talked about the oversold condition that existed back in March and that we would have a rally most likely. That occurred. And now we got back to overbought and now we just kind of been working this off. So it's really kind of no big deal what's been going on. And it's been fairly orderly, right? This has not been a disorderly sell-off in the market, you know, with lots of panic and that type of thing. So again, not a lot to worry about here, but just something to pay attention to. Um, this morning, we'll get into a, a bit more conversation about the Fed's uh, meeting minutes yesterday. So the, F the Federal Reserve released their minutes from their last FOMC meeting, and this is what revealed the tapering of the balance sheet, right? Their expectations for reducing their balance sheet, potential for rate hikes this year. And again, as expected, you know, nothing really surprising in the minutes. It's all pretty much what we expected, but now we have some detail about how much they're going to reduce their balance sheet by over the course of the next, you know, few few months, next year or so. And then also kind of how much they're talking about hiking interest rates. Now, in, importantly, yesterday, because of the uh, the announcement coming out and expectations of the announcement coming out over the last couple of days, interest rates were moving higher in anticipation of the, those minute meetings. Now, we have to go back in history a bit, not very far, right? Back to 2018. And back in 2018, interest rates were rising, not nearly as steeply as they are rising now, but they were indeed rising as the Fed was getting ready. To, they were hiking interest rates at that time and getting ready to start tapering their balance sheet. And now, as we moved into 2018 in particular, that's where interest rates peaked. As soon as the Federal Reserve started reducing their balance sheet, you know, expectations were like interest rates are going to go to the moon now because there's no buying for bonds. Just the opposite, volatility started picking up in the financial markets. Um, in fact, we had that, you know, about 15% correction in January, February of 2018. Interest rates started coming down. And the more aggressive the Fed got in tapering their balance sheet, the further rates fell. And by the time we got to the end of 2018, well, you know, interest rates had come down in the Fed and the market had declined 20%. And the Fed says, hey, we're not going to taper anymore here. So we're going to stop the whole tapering thing. And of course, it wasn't much longer until we got into 2019 and 2020, where the Federal Reserve started dropping interest rates again and putting interest rates back at zero and trying to do everything they could to bail out the market. So the important thing here is that while interest rates have risen here uh, in recent weeks, 
is, and then, you know, a lot of people are certainly concerned about that. Mortgage rates are up to 5% and, and, and a lot of issues in the economy. You know, as the Fed starts this quantitative tightening, as, this, as the Fed begins to, to hike interest rates more, that slows economic growth because of the fact that higher rates crimp the spending and consumption that happens within the economy. So as we begin to start to see weaker economic growth, this is, and obviously higher interest rates put pressure on corporate profit margins. So profit margins are going to come down. The ISM manufacturing index already tells us that's going to happen. So as companies have to deal with higher input costs from higher prices in terms of oil and commodities, et cetera, coming into the stuff that they're manufacturing, that's eating up profit margins. Now their borrowing costs are going up, which is further eating into their borrowing costs, uh, sorry, into their profit margins. This is all going to make earnings much more challenging. You know, a, a big chunk, about 70%, of the earnings growth in 2021 was a function of expanded profit margins. So the actual growth in earnings, organic growth in earnings, wasn't that much. It was all very much a big chunk of operating profit margins that expanded because of reduced labor forces, reduced overhead costs, because of not, you know, uh, reduced office space, whatever it was. A lot of companies kind of retooled and reorganized for the pandemic, which massively boosted profit margins because of reduced labor costs. That's now all reversed as we've now, we're now back to full employment. People are back to work and take a look at the employment numbers. So those costs have all gone up. Input costs have gone up, as we just said a second ago, because of, and as we measure that by inflation, that's all going to have a very big impact on profit margins as company, companies begin to report earnings here beginning this month. So this month is now the first quarter that we're going to be reporting on. And this is going to be the first quarter that we are back to full employment. All that liquidity that was in the system has now been utilized. That's gone. So now this is the first quarter where we're really kind of getting back to just organic consumption and earnings for companies right I kind of x all of the other benefits so this is going to be a really important quarter as we start to look at just how well companies are actually doing with organic growth in the economy so having talked about that a sec you know this is going to be one of the topics we'll get into a little bit this morning is you know what does this mean as we go forward and particularly as the fed begins to hike interest rates but most importantly just kind of going back in history uh, again you know as we take a look at at the markets and how they operate you know the markets were doing just fine and dandy in early 2017 and going into 2018 they were doing fine until again the fed started hiking these interest rates and that's where we had this first initial decline Markets recovered from that as the Fed got more lenient, but of course, by then it was a little bit too late. Uh, the yield curve inverted in 2019. The Fed was bailing out hedge funds, et cetera, through the end part of 2019. Inverted yield curve telling you that there was a problem in the economy. It just needed something to basically kind of push it over the edge of the cliff. And that occurred in February of 2020 as the pandemic shut down. Uh, occurred and that's really what's what set off the recession and the big decline of the markets of course immediately during this whole process the fed was reversing course very rapidly to ease monetary policy the average time frame by the time that the fed hikes rates to the peak and to the next rate cut is about four to six months so when we start to see the fed really hike rates here once the fed runs into trouble and they stop hiking rates 
it's generally about four to six months before they're now reversing interest rates, cutting rates, because they've caused some type of economic crisis in the markets. That's going to be the real thing that we're watching out for, is watching for an uninversion of the yield curve. And ultimately, as soon as that occurs, we're going to be watching and talking about whatever problem that the Fed's now created and the impact on the financial markets that they're dealing with. We'll come back from the break. We'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll get into a little bit about Brainerd, Bullard, some of the other Fed speakers, what they've been saying, what to expect now that the the, uh, Federal Reserve is going to start reducing their balance sheet. How's that going to look and what does that mean for the markets? We'll be back after the break. Be sure by the website, get our daily market commentary. Covers all this stuff and a whole lot more every single day. We keep you up to date. Subscribe for free. Free email delivery every morning pre-market with your earnings, economic growth, more all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com we're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time especially when it comes to signing up for medicare when should you enroll what's the best plan for you how will the significant passage of time adversely affect your medicare premium join richard rosso and danny ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on medicare avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties thursday april 21st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning of course it's uh 6 17 uh lots to get into i tell you what though man my nose is itchy this morning mm-hmm. i've Tis the season. Tis the season. Uh, you know, this is the thing about, you know, Houston, Texas, right? You know, I had a, somebody emailed me the other day and they're like, you know, how's the weather down there? It says, it's gorgeous right now. You should come to Texas. Just make sure and leave by June. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think what the pollen counts so bad, junkies are starting to want to change their meth back into Sudafed. So, I mean, <laughs> it's bad. If only. <laughs> so, uh, Breaking Bad Five, <laughs> exactly the, the reversion. <laughs> so yeah, it's a uh, it's that just it's like Brent said, it is that time of the year. So there you go. Uh, by the way, uh, we were talking last week. Uh, we have a a mystery supporter of the show, and we definitely we we so very much appreciate you because you're feeding my one vice, which is peppermint patties, and we do appreciate that very much. But we were talking uh, last week that, you know, Brent's vice is... death wish coffee and i mislabeled it i said you know we called it black death at the time i'm actually I, i'm i'm actually going out to to trademark that we're going to make black death black coffee. Death, yes. yeah we're just going to combine yeah. the two call it black death but our our supporter uh sent brent a uh, bag of death wish coffee so there you go um and and just to let you know i actually did share yes. this time yes so. he did <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you haven't brewed any yet. Are you going to brew some today? Uh, actually, I had a cup this morning. Not out of that bag, though. No, well, I use my K cups. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have to take that home and actually use a brew cup. Uh, yes. 
<laughs> do, it, do it. Do do you have one of those uh, adapters for your coffee maker that I do. does does the K cups? Mm-hmm. That's a mess. Yeah, it is. So yeah, uh, you know the K cups are expensive, and we have you know we have one that makes a regular pot of coffee. Then it also does the K cups, right? Yeah. But it has one of those adapters where you can just make your own K cup. But it's it's just a mess to work with. So we just I, don't I, do it very often. I, I I can't tell you how many times I've had to come in and clean up after that coffee maker in there. <laughs> Well, no, you don't know the story. So my wife, <laughs> so my wife, she makes the she makes the coffee pot at night because we both get up early, like four o'clock in the morning, yeah. and, and get ready for work. And and so she makes the coffee pot. She sets it on auto, so it turns on at four o'clock. and starts making the coffee while we're getting up, so it's all ready to go. And so the other on Tuesday, no Monday. Okay. On Monday, she yeah. she's been a little bit under the weather, very tired, very stressed out from work, right? Pollen. So it's, it's yeah, pollen. It's pollen, sure. So uh, on, I think it was Monday um, or Tuesday of last week. You know, I hear this banging around in the kitchen and stuff, <laughs> and I go in there, and she's like cleaning the coffee off of the floor because she didn't quite get the coffee pot under, you know, underneath the filler. So it, it was it was it registered that the coffee pot was there, yeah, right. So the yeah. shutoff valve didn't work. But coffee was just everywhere. So she got it all cleaned up. Great. The next the next morning I go in, I hear this banging around and she's cleaning coffee up everywhere. I go, honey, I said, can you not get she goes, No, I got the coffee pot in there. I forgot to put the filter into oh. the t- Well, I'll go you one more on that. So, so, so she's been battling our coffee maker now. I think the coffee maker's winning, but she's been yeah. battling over the last couple of days. When we come in here in the morning, the lights are not on. Right. You know, and so I do all what I do in, in the dark back there in the kitchen. One morning, I put the mug in upside down. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was messy. Yeah. Anyway. The trials of coffee at four o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Coffee, <laughs> coffee <laughs> talk. <laughs> coffee talk with Mike Leibowitz. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I got nothing to contribute on the coffee. <laughs> I make my coffee. I drink it. It all seems to work out well for me. There well, you go. It's, it's just uh, well, there's always the one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the outlier. No, yeah, no, nothing ever happens to me. It's all fine. <laughs> That's what the Fed's hoping too. We're going to hike rates this time, and nothing's going to happen. It's going to be all fine this caffeine, time around. Taking the caffeine out of the market, exactly. So, uh, a couple of things here as we kind of uh, you know start talking about this. So, the FOMC released their minutes yesterday, and that was kind of what shook the markets a bit. Um, kind of, I guess, nothing really surprising. All this did was really clarify what the markets already knew was going to happen. And markets have been pricing in, you know, several 50 basis point rate hikes um, starting in May. Um, Also, kind of market was already kind of predicting a reduction of the balance sheet. And again, the balance sheet has not been reducing at all. If you take a look at the balance sheet, it's still, you know, kind of rising right now. Um, And that's because the Fed's not really buying new bonds, but they're just replacing the stuff that rolls off. But now they're actually talking about reducing the balance sheet. Now, that's going to kind of work in two different manners. First, a lot of the the balance sheet is short-term bills. So as those bills just mature, they'll just let them roll off and they won't replace them. But they'll eventually get into a point to where they have to start selling some of their bonds into the markets as well. So, you know, the big concern here, of course, is that as the Fed becomes no longer the buyer of bonds, particularly as the Treasury is trying to issue debt, you know, that's the big concern. That's why rates have been rising. 
But as I was talking about uh, at the open, if you go back to 2018, as soon as, soon as the Fed started tapering the balance sheet, uh, that was the peak in the 10-year Treasury rate at that point as money started moving into more of a risk-off type mode. Markets picked up a lot of volatility in 2018 and then finished down about 20% for the year uh, heading into December. Of course, if you remember very quickly in December of 2018, this is where President Trump was all over the Federal Reserve. We were talking about you know, trying to figure out if the president could actually fire the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, there was all that talk about uh, about that happening. And then immediately the Federal Reserve said, oh, guess what? We're, we're actually done uh, with everything. We're not going to hike rates anymore and we're not going to reduce our balance sheet anymore. And, you know, that was where we started getting back into a bull market in 2019. But however, the damage has already been done. And by July of 2019, we're starting to cut rates again. And then in September, we're doing a de facto quantitative easing program by the Federal Reserve to bail out hedge funds through what was called at the time. And Mike and I can't remember how many conversations you and you and I had, Mike, about reverse repo, what that was, what was going on, why were they doing it? And then, of course, in March of 20, oh, and the yield curve inverted. Uh, forgot forgot about that part. The yield curve inverted in August, uh, September, uh, July, August of 2019. And by 2020, we're in a recession. So uh, time doesn't take it doesn't take much time between the Fed starting to take action and then messing something up in the markets just a function of what it turns out to be. So, Mike, what was your initial kind of uh, takeaway from the minutes yesterday? Anything surprising to you? Yeah, I thought it actually was more hawkish than we were expecting and most people were expecting. And here's what's kind of interesting why I say more hawkish. Because the Fed met about three weeks ago, and when they meet, they put out their statement, which is a canned statement that they make, you know, a few edits to from the prior statement. And then Powell does his press conference. And in the statement, there was one person that dissented. I think there's what, they're down a couple voters because mm -hmm. they haven't been uh, approved by Congress yet. But there's about 10, 11 voters, and all but one of them approved. There was one dissenter, uh, St. Louis Fed President Bullard, who dissented because he wanted 50. We find out three weeks later, and again, this three weeks later minutes are not really minutes. They're an update of policy, how they want the investment public, the media to think about what they're doing. Apparently, most of them wanted 50 basis points. They just didn't want to go on the official record and dissent. So first of all, I think it's important to know, and, and you know, the market's expecting this, we're expecting it. They could easily start moving in 50 basis point increments come their May 4th meeting, May 5th meeting, and and for a couple meetings after that. So, so Fed funds could start increasing pretty rapidly here, but that's priced in. So I don't think that was as much a surprise. And we in, in Monday's commentary, we wrote this. Where we have to be on the lookout for is Fed speeches uh, where they're talking about QT, how they're going to do QT, what kind of pace. And I think it was Monday or Tuesday mm -hmm. where uh, Lael Brainerd said, we need to get on our horse and, and be much more aggressive with QT. And then yesterday, the Fed comes out with their minutes saying that they'd like to do 95 billion a month, which was above most estimates starting starting after the May meeting. So, you know, again, I think we all knew QT was coming. We didn't think it would be this much. And I think it kind of caught the market off guard. Not sure why, you know, everyone knew QT was coming. And 
you know, I think so what we've seen the last couple of days in the markets is the market adjusting to more QT. The thing we have to be a little careful of, whether you're bullish or bearish, is that the Fed is probably purposely talking a big game. They want the market to do the work for them. And the market is doing the work, the work for them. Mortgage rates are over 5% now. That will hurt economic activity. And car loans are going up. All lo corporate loans are going up. So, you know, ideally, I think what they would love to do is not do QT, not raise rates, but just talk a big enough game that the market will do their work for them. Now, that's not going to happen. They're well, going to do raise rates and do QT. Yeah. And, and again, you know, the problem is, is and they are and, you know, and, and in a vacuum, maybe this would be fine. Right. This is the, the whole kind of interesting you know, part of this is that. You know, we talk about the Federal Reserve and say, OK, great, they're going to hike rates and they're going to, you know, reduce their balance sheet in order to slow economic growth. That's why they do this, because they want to slow economic growth to pull down inflation. The problem is, is that, to your point, the market's already doing the work for them. Monetary tightening is occurring everywhere right now. Mortgage rates are up. Credit card rates are up. Auto loan rates are up. So all of that monetary tightening is already starting to slow economic growth. And now you're going to try to to add to that tightening all at one time. And, and this is why bad things typically always happen. Everybody goes, oh, the Fed can engineer a soft landing. They never do because they hike rates right to the point that they break something. And then three to four to five months later, and this goes all the way back to the 1970s, three, four, five months later, they've broken something. And now we're back into the trying to, to unwind the damage we just did. And, and unfortunately, this time probably won't be any different. The only question is exactly how long does it take between now and the time we get in the next recession. Be right back after the break. We'll talk a little bit about markets and money, what to kind of expect here um, with, you know, investing and what the markets are likely going to be like over the next couple of months. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com we're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time especially when it comes to signing up for medicare when should you enroll what's the best plan for you how will the significant passage of time adversely affect your medicare premium join richard rosso and danny ratley for our next virtual lunch and learn on medicare avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties thursday april 21st register now at real investmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show Welcome back to the show this morning. So market's been a little bit sloppy this year so far. Started out the beginning of this year on a high note coming out of uh, the typical Santa Claus rally. Things were looking pretty good at that point uh, in the first, like, 27 seconds of January. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. And then uh, after that, uh, things have been kind of tough sledding ever since. Of course, 
really kind of culminating with this decline that we have seen, you know, heading into March uh, as Russia invaded Ukraine. So it's been a, a good bit of pressure. Now, you know, with <coughs> excuse me, with all that aside, you know, markets are you know down less. You know, the S and P um, is, is down about ten percent or so for the year, and it's it while well, it seems a lot worse than it actually has been. This is a function that we talked about last year because in 2021, we had had this year of growth in the financial markets where declines were three, four, five percent at the most. In fact, you know, we'd written several articles about we've gone a very long stretch of time without having a correction to the, um, you know, a five percent correction. We've gone in a, a historically long amount of time without a correction back to 200 day moving average. You know, and, and that kind of low volatility environment lured a lot of investors, you know, kind of into the warm waters of the of the stock market because there was no real fear. Right. Um, and you know, I was watching uh, Black Hawk Down uh, the other day with with my wife. We were watching the movie and there's this one scene where they're flying into Mogadishu in the in the helicopters. And one of the guys in the helicopter looks at it and says, that's it's a really it's a that's a beautiful beach. And one of the other guys quips back. He says, "Yeah, if it wasn't for all the sharks," and you know, and that's kind of the the kind of the market, right? Last year was this beautiful beach, warm water, and it was easy to get in. And of course, underneath the surface, there was other things that were going on. We were seeing an unwinding a lot of the. We talked about the arc problem, right? The arc had sprung a leak, and we saw a lot of these stocks, the Pelotons and others, getting really you know kind of beaten down underneath the markets, although the markets were doing just fine. And we had said that, you know, the, the problem with the market and, and the problem with that lack of volatility is, right, you're wading out of that warm water. And when you actually get a correction, you know, it's going to feel a whole lot worse than it actually is. And that's what's happened this year. You know, there's a lot of panic and angst in the markets because, you know, we just haven't had a correction like this really since going back to 2018. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is this is what a correction's like. And, and, and you know, that's what we're in. And, and again, this leads to a lot of investing mistakes. It leads to a lot of, of, you know, actions that investors take that kind of impair the longer term returns. And, but this is not a fun market to be in. Again, you know, there's lots of volatility. Markets are rotating very rapidly. Um, Mike and I were talking on Monday that, you know, it was the deflation trade was on. Technologies were doing great. And then the next day, it's energy that's doing great. We're back to the inflation trade. And it's this back and forth, uh, this tug of war between sectors and markets and, you know, what's going on. And everybody's trying to figure out what the positioning is. And nobody's really for sure. So the, the question now becomes, you know, what, you know, how to navigate this markets, you know, kind of going out to the rest of this year. That's going to be the real question. There's because there's there's a lot of things that we're going to have to deal with. Earnings, we're about to kick off earnings season. The question is how, how good are those earnings going to be? Inflation, what's that going to be for the rest of this year? Um, you know, um, monetary policy. We know they're now going to tighten monetary policy. They're going to be extracting liquidity from the markets. There doesn't seem to be any potential on the horizon that the government's going to be able to pass another, you know, bill giving money to people, right? So no more checks to households. So what does that mean for markets? Does that mean we're going to be in a bear market? Does that mean that we're going to have, you know, a bigger crisis on our hands? Mike, what do you think? So the way I approach it is starting at a very high level. And the biggest driver of stocks, of, of many assets, has been the Fed. 
indirectly, the Fed has driven asset prices and valuations much higher than they should have been and would have been had they not done anything. So when I start to think about it, you, you like it or not, like it or not, you have to you have to say, don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed for the last year and a half meant that you bought and you didn't look down because valuations were really high. You just bought the Fed. And what that meant as investment managers is that we we skewed to the bullish side. Even when we thought there was some technical weakness coming, we may reduce positions a little, but we were always pretty close, if not over our benchmark allocation to stocks. Now, the you know, don't fight the Fed is still in effect, but the Fed, it's the opposite side of that angle right now. So it's don't fight the Fed as they pull out liquidity, accept it for what it is. They're pulling out liquidity. So one of the biggest factors in the market is saying, okay, let's, as we manage our portfolios, we're going to be more long at sometimes, less long at sometimes, but let's try to stay on the lower side of our benchmark. Sometimes it may be very low and we're holding a lot of cash. Other times we may be nudging right up against our benchmark or what we're trying to achieve. So as long as the Fed is out there with this hawkish talk and they're actually doing things, which they raised rates 25, I guess we won't know till May whether they're talking to talk or if they're going to walk the walk. <laughs> but, you know, we have a month between now and then. The, the, I think the key is to start at that very high level and say, don't fight the Fed. Then you can start thinking about all these other events going on around the world, whether it's Russia, whether it's inflation, whether it's profit margins, and how does that affect things? And also very important is to think about valuations. How much am I paying for the stock? Does that mean, does that is that worth paying for? So the justification, here's where I'm going with this, the justification for stock pricing, prices rising was that interest rates were so low that when you discounted cash flows, essentially, and you use such a low rate, the present value of those cash flows, I know Finance 101 here, the present value gives you a stock price or an expected stock price that's much higher. Well, the opposite is true, too. So again, when we say don't fight the Fed, you're also fighting classical finance 101. As interest rates move up, those present values move down, right? Then, then you're dealing with profit margins. So right now, there's a big headwind in a market. It's in part because of the Fed, in part because the market's doing the Fed's work. Even if the Fed doesn't do anything, the market is pushing rates higher. Mortgage rates at 5% is a huge example and how it will stymie the economy, albeit with a very lagged effect. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're talking about this idea of not fighting the Fed because, again, that was the argument for, you know, being long stocks and overpaying for valuations during the entire time that the Fed's lowering interest rates. So they're lowering interest rates, they're doing QE. The argument is don't fight the Fed because, well, you know, the, the low interest rates justify high valuations, uh, QE justify overpaying for stocks, and it's all fine and dandy. And it's interesting because now you say, well, hey, don't fight the Fed because they're raising rates. But I just Googled just as an example. I said, what happens to the stock market when the Fed hikes rates? 
uh, there is literally about 15 pages of articles under a Google search of that talking about don't worry about the Fed hiking rates. Stocks tend to perform well during initial rate hikes. Um, so, you know, the argument has been don't fight the Fed when they're lowering rates. But the argument is also by the mainstream media, don't fight the Fed when they're hiking rates because eh, it doesn't matter. Stocks always go up. So Be long stocks. So, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, you're trying to make the statement saying, hey, don't fight the Fed. But that's not what the media's media is telling you. So just for you, Lance, in today's morning commentary, we have a graph mm -hmm. and it says the question is, do you fight the Fed or not? Basically, how do, how do stocks do when the Fed goes into a tightening cycle when they're raising rates? And he the 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 guy that made the graph defines slow cycles and fast cycles. Slow cycles are where the Fed incrementally raises rates over long periods of time. It's very predictable. The market can prepare. Borrowers can prepare. And in those cases, you're 100 percent right. The market barely the average S&P kind of keeps working its way up and through it. When we're in fast cycles, which there have only been a few, 1994 was the last one, the market trades decently lower. And that's because it's a shock to the system. I mean, again, I'm, I'm sorry to keep leaning on mortgage rates, but you could have refinanced into a mortgage or got a new mortgage at about two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, six months ago, last summer, mm -hmm. not even last summer, like last fall. Now they're over 5%. That's a shock to the system. And people are just waking up to this. And this goes across all the credit markets. So if the Fed is seriously going to go in 50 basis increments and bring Fed funds up to 2 to 3%, whatever they're going to do, and pull liquidity out of the market, that's very different than one of these more standard hiking cycles where they're just slowly taking the, the rum out of the punch. Right. Well, and again, there's you know, at the same time, and there's also a big difference here, that we can't dismiss is that every other time that the Fed was hiking interest rates, particularly since really about 1980, inflation was not surging. All right. Inflation was was falling or was at lower levels. And particularly ever since the turn of the century, you know, inflation has been running at two percent or less. So as the Fed's gone through these rate hiking cycles and particularly since 2008, when the Fed was hiking rates and doing QE, inflation wasn't a problem. Now they've got inflation running at 7 8%. And on top of the fact that they're tightening monetary policy, on top of the fact that there's a reversal of liquidity in the markets, on top of the fact that you've got all these other factors that are impacting liquidity in the markets, you know, I think the Fed may be surprised how little that they're actually able to raise rates before they cause a problem. Be right back after the break. Get ready to wrap up the show. Man, they went by fast. Be right back. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare. Avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Get ready to kind of wrap things up as we get ready to kind of uh, wrap up this week. You know, it's uh, already heading into the middle of the week. Now, the month of April tends to be, you know, a bit sloppy about this time of the month. And about mid-month, right when tax returns are filed and tax refunds are given, markets tend to do a little bit better. Um, the month of April tends to be fairly positive. Now, once we get into May, we're starting to wrap up the seasonally strong period of the year. Then we're going to get into June, July, August, which are typically the weak months of the year. So, again, there's certainly some, as we were just talking about in the last segment, you know, certainly some concerns here um, as, as we move forward. And, again, you know, this is why we're underweight stocks right now in portfolios. We're overweight bonds and, and you know, cash. And, and that's just kind of that, you know, hedging criteria. It's just I think it's the one thing to be focused on here is that things are going to be a bit sloppy over the next few months. Um, I don't think there's, you know, there's not necessarily this idea we're going to be in a, a major correction of, of any time soon. We could be. I don't, certainly don't want to rule that out. But, you know, there's also not a lot of potential here for a lot of upside either. So, you know, a market just kind of grinds sideways, wears everybody out, you know, is certainly, you know, a, a potential outcome. You know, the other side, too, is, is that below the surface of the market, and while we look at the S&P, S&P's down about 10% for the year, whatever. NASDAQ's down, you know, 15, 16, whatever it is down for the year. You know, that's just looking at the index is deceiving because underneath the surface, there's been a lot of devastation. There's a lot of stocks, you know, underneath the market that are down 50, 60, 70, 80%. So there's actually been a, a much bigger bear market going on during this correction than what the indexes actually show. And this is because of the cap weighting of the indexes. We've got Apple, Microsoft, and others that are kind of, you know, making up 30% of the index. So if those guys don't go down a whole lot, the index looks like it's performing a whole lot better than the bottom 70% of what's actually going on in the index. So it's kind of like that. I, I used an iceberg analogy talking about this last year of, you know, what you don't see below the surface. And this is all that turmoil that's going on that's below the surface of the index so again, just looking at if you're just looking at your portfolio going, I don't understand why my portfolio is doing so badly compared to the S&P. It's probably because of the stuff you own. So if you own a lot of speculative assets in your portfolio, probably not doing as well as if you owned a lot more of the of the of the big cap mega cap companies in your portfolio which have been supporting the overall index. So again, that's that's not going to change anytime soon unless unless of course um, the generals kind of give up the charge. That's going to be the question. What you know? What trips up the indexes that you know Microsoft, Apple, etc. sell off? Yeah, Mike. 
Lance, that's a that's an incredibly important point, as we talked about yesterday afternoon. Underneath the surface, there's a lot more going on than I think most people think. The S&P was down about a percent yesterday, and we had a conversation after the market closed, and I said, look at our equity portfolio. We have, what do we have, 25, 30, 25-ish, 30 stocks in there, and we had three, I'm, I'm kind of guessing here, but about three or four stocks that were up more than 2%. We had another four or five stocks that were up you know, something more than, you know, about half a percent or more. And we had a lot of duds too, don't get me wrong, yeah. a lot in the red. But yeah, and then we looked at a heat map. So what a heat map does is it shows the S&P 500 and it shows every stock by size and it lights them up green or red, different shades of green or red to show you, to give you kind of a perspective of how the market does. So if you think the market yeah, all I'm gonna, went I'm going to cover your face up while you're talking about this. Keep going. I'll just, I'm just going to show everybody an example of what, what a heat map looks like and what you're talking about. So and it, this is the heat map from yesterday, by the way. Okay. So I can't see it. But if you notice, there's big spots of green and big spots of red. Right. And, and it's broken down by, by the sector or industry as well. So all companies in the same industry are grouped together. And you can you you can look at a heat map like that, and it tells you what's going on underneath the surface. Now there's a lot of down days, especially a few weeks ago, where every almost everything was red, except for energy, for instance. The little energy boxes were green. But the last few days, Monday, we were talking about technology doing well. Those boxes in the upper left, Apple, Nvidia, Microsoft, et cetera, and some of the communications companies did well, but you know, we were up again, we were up, I think, 40, 50 points on Monday, yet half the market was red. Mm -hmm. So so what's important as you think about your portfolio is not should I be 50 percent in stocks or 20 percent or 80 percent in stocks, but also what do you own? How do each individual how does each individual stock affect is affected by inflation? How is it affected by the value growth trade? Does the, the Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian conflict mean anything? Are they affected by that? And a whole host of other questions, because there are plenty of stocks that are up on the year, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of stocks. It, it's, so when you look at the S&P, it's a weighted average of stocks. There are some that are down 70%, some that are flat, some that are up. And we spent a lot of time balancing out those stocks in our portfolios and, and the sectors in our portfolios, because we do want some inflation protection and we do want some deflation protection. And if we start thinking there's more inflation or more deflation, we shift it and we track those levels. We know what our inflation deflation exposure is. And we're, we're changing that and we're thinking about that. So it's not just we think the market's going to go down, we're going to go to more cash. It may be we think the market's going to go down, but deflation or inflation is going to really come off. So we're going to we may reduce our stock exposure a little bit, but we may also switch our exposure to more to more stocks that do well in a lower inflation environment, staples, for instance, or technology. So it, it's shifting the underlying positions is equally important to just thinking about red light, green light, cash or stocks, mm -hmm. cash or stocks. And I feel like that's the way most people thinking about it, or they, they look at the S&P, they say, oh, it was down 1% yesterday, I must have lost 1%. You could have lost 2% or you could have been flat on the day, depending on how you structure your portfolio. 
And that this dispersion that we've been seeing is much more intense. And it has been intense for the last, what would you say, six or nine months? Yep. Particularly, and, yeah, really over the last six months, more so than anything else. Right. So what I would say is, is one of the most important things you can do is look at a heat map every day. Every day there's relatively big market moves. And, and ask yourself, is the market acting as one? So on a, on a down day, is everything red? On a big up day, is everything green? Or is there a lot of cross currents in the market, a lot of red and green? And that that helps you understand better because Apple, Microsoft, and a handful of stocks are driving the S&P. They're driving the, the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. But that's not the market. The market is thousands of stocks. Right. And it's interesting, too. You also got to, you know, and this is what Mike was talking about, this kind of inflation, deflation trade that, you know, we, we look at on a regular basis. Conagra Foods is a good example. Reported earnings this morning. Stocks down about five and a half percent pre-market. They issued weaker than expected, and, th and I think this is something we're going to see a lot more of, particularly in the staples and discretionary space. And this is one of the reasons that we took Amazon uh, out of our portfolio for the time being, because of of expected impacts to that retail buying pattern that we've seen over the last year or so, because of all the excess liquidity. You know, now you've got higher prices, higher inflation, low liquidity. I think that's going to, you know, our kind of our bet is we're going to see that show up in that discretionary space as well as staples. But back to Conagra, um, Conagra reported weaker than expected uh, forecast this morning for the fiscal year ending. And they said that their results are being hit by higher transportation and raw materials cost. And this is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Well, I think one of the big challenges for companies going forward is that you know that tailwind of reduced labor costs reduced office costs reduced you know uh, 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 production costs because of the pandemic shutdown is now reversed and now not only do you have higher labor costs back in because we're having to pay more in wages we're having to hire everybody back to work but now you've also got rising input costs from you know oil to food to everything else that goes into making products and particularly for Conagra as a good example of, of their space, you know, they're getting really hit by these inflationary pressures. So I think we're going to see that really start to filter through in this earnings season that we're about to kick off. And it's going to make it even more difficult to try to pick the companies that are going to be able to pass on that cost versus other companies that can't. That's that's a huge point you just made there. Can ConAgra, it appears, I haven't seen the earnings, cannot pass on the full mm -hmm. cost to its clientele. Well, here's another so, one. Here's just another one, just a, a different industry, Wayfair. Um, you know, they sell furniture, right, right, to people. So go online, order furniture, have it delivered to your house. Wayfair down 4.1% in pre-market after Wells Fargo downgraded the stock to underweight. They said that higher-end furniture retailer is going to be hurt by waning demand, overly optimistic consensus estimates, and other headwinds being inflation. And again, there too, if you know, if people aren't going to buy as many houses because of higher mortgage rates, mm -hmm. Don't need furniture. the need for new outdoor <laughs> furniture is less. Yeah, that was actually, uh, you know, my wife watches these, uh, you know, kind of like the 90 Day Fiance stuff. Mm -hmm. she, she likes those reality shows. And so this this one couple she was watching, they're building a house and she's online and she's ordering furniture online. She's sitting there looking through, you know, uh, through the Internet. And he goes, like, what are you doing? And, and she goes, I'm, I'm looking at new furniture for the new house. And he goes, well, what's wrong with our furniture? She says, you don't take old furniture to a new house. <laughs>
<laughs> but to Mike's point, that's exactly right. I mean, if you know, if housing demand slows because people can't get a mortgage or they can't afford to buy the house, then there's no reason to go buy new furniture, right? So companies like Wayfair and others that sell you know, furniture or other online retailers that have exposure to higher costs. And again, the most important thing is don't forget, a big chunk of the driver for a lot of these retail online companies like Amazon and others was because we gave $5 trillion worth of liquidity to people in 2020, 2021. That's now gone. So all that excess liquidity they had to go spend on stuff they really didn't need is now going to reverse. And that's about to show up. This is going to be the first set of earnings coming out, X liquidity. So you got to really watch what these retailers say uh, in their earnings report. So keep an eye on those. Um, anyway, that wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Our daily market commentary is already published. It's on the website now. Subscribe for a free morning pre-market email. Get our newsletter that will be out this weekend. Everything's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.